0: Good morning. I hope my mic's on. Oh, there it is. So Andrew told me I, I couldn't, um, he wasn't, I couldn't be trusted to hold the mic close enough to my mouth because I mumble and, and my wife will confirm that. And I'm, I'm just coming into that. So I admit I mumble. Um, but good morning. So my name's is Lonnie. Uh, I've been here uh, with my wife and my daughter Olivia probably for about the last three years uh, at Sanctuary. We moved up here from Atlanta. And so um, I just want to take this first moment to, to give thanks. Uh, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to Andrew, give thanks to the leadership, uh, give thanks to you for not getting up and leaving when you saw it wasn't Andrew preaching, um, that I, I value this time up here, I hold this opportunity as sacred, and um, Andrew Andrew said one time, and I don't know if he, he lifted it from somebody else, but he said, when we're up here as, as leadership, we are not putting ourselves, on, or trying to at least put ourselves on any kind of pedestal, we are simply beggars, trying to show other beggars where to find bread. And there's something significant about that bread, and so that's all I'm here to do today. I'm going to share something with you that's been on my heart that um, I've had the opportunity to talk to Andrew about, and um, hopefully you will gain something from it, and you'll leave this place uh, a little more edified than when you came in. So the scripture, I love that little girl. <laughs> that was so relevant and, and perfect. Um, I didn't know she was actually going to be giving the word, but it helps. Uh, when we look at our scripture, um, which isn't up there, it'll, maybe they can put it up there, um, there's something redundant that you read in it, right? You read love over and over. And I'm immediately reminded, um, kind of like if you're a parent, I have a little daughter, she's almost two now, and she's extremely adorable. And, um, e- but even in that adorability, if that's a word, she will sing invariably the same song over and over and over again. And you can't really distinguish what the song is. You think it, it kind of sounds like Twinkle Twinkle or ABC, and that's our fault because we say it over and over again. You know, that's how we can get her to, you know, consent to us brushing her teeth. But, um, yeah, it's like there's, there's something redundant in that. So I think there's similarly something redundant about this word love. We keep reading, um, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born. So you wonder if First John, in First John, the, the writer, if, if he's trying to get at something, if he's trying to hint, if he's trying to nudge at you about something. And so... I think we owe it to ourselves to take stock and, and really think, what is this word love? What is, what, are we, what is John trying to say? Because when we hear love, a lot of us come from a lot of different backgrounds. We have a lot of different perspectives. And somebody may read love and think, oh, well, yeah, it's the way I feel about somebody or the way that um, I, I want to treat someone else because of what they've done for me. It's kind of conditional. And, and it's also, you know, what I would do for somebody else. It's sacrificial. And so we kind of use our heart to define what this term love is. But I think when you read scripture, one thing you'll, you'll notice is that oftentimes our hearts can be misleading. And so Andrew hinted at this last week when he talked about sometimes our hearts will condemn us, but there's other times when we need to recognize we need to lead our hearts and not follow them. It doesn't mean you don't listen to your heart. It doesn't mean that you, you don't take into consideration what it's saying, but it means trusting that there's actually a God that's greater than our hearts. There's a superiority that speaks to what we really should do, what we should really think and not solely rely on our hearts. So, so in that, um, speaking to the, the, one of the goals for Sanctuary this year is this, uh, improving biblical literacy. And um, we had a team day a couple weeks ago where we had individuals that, that were deciding to partner with us and they said, uh, I asked them uh, as we introduced that goal of biblical literacy, if they could just write down on a, on a sticky note, I think it was a pink sticky note, to just write down a phrase, a thought, a memory that you have about scripture. And we'll take those, we'll collect them. And what was really interesting is, I mean, it's it's not really, it's kind of a captain obvious statement, but there was a wide spectrum. There were people that were running from uh, on the far uh, left side of the gamut of, man, I love this word, I love what I'm reading. I didn't even grow up with scripture. I knew about the Bible, but I didn't know what was actually in it, and I love it. And so for them, I say, keep going, keep pushing, keep digging in, keep asking questions, don't do it in isolation. But then there was this other spectrum of people that grew up with this negative connotation. They either had family members that uh, for whatever reason used scripture, they manipulated it in a negative kind of way, kind of defeating the whole purpose of why scripture is there. So, um, like I say to the person on, on that one side, I keep reading, keep digging in, but for the person that's on that other side that, that is, uh, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle because I've seen, I've experienced, I've been a part of all uh, ends of that spectrum, but for the person that, that has a little bit of baggage, um, it's our prayer, it's my prayer, that you, you package it up and you let it go because that's going to hinder you as you move forward. There's something valuable that sits in this word, and it doesn't mean that you have to go off and discover what that is by yourself. Um, that's why you go out and you find a community of believers who trust in it to help you understand, to help guide you, so that they can show you how to lead your heart in the right way of understanding it. So um, so what we're going to do is we're going to just go through a couple different definitions of what this actually, of what this love actually means. There's only one actual meaning that John uses. He uses a specific word, and we'll get to that one, but there's also different types of words that were used uh, in Greek uh, during the time of Jesus, during the time that this was, the scripture was written, and so it's important for us to know what this type of love is and what it's not. So the first type, it's eros, all right? Eros is, um, it's really a sexual love. It's something that's built and uh, reflects a sensuality. Um, it, one Webster, for official Webster definition, says it's the sum of life-preserving instincts that are manifested as impulses to gratify basic needs, and as subliminal as sublimated impulses, and as impulses to protect and preserve the body and mind. Um, another writer says it's an overmastering passion that seizes and absorbs itself into the mind. So it's selfish. Eros is a selfish in nature, thank you. It's something that says, I love you, but only if you do what makes me feel good. Um, it's not really found in Scripture at all. You won't find the word Eros. You might find parts of Scripture that reflect a spirit of Eros, but it's not actually written. None of the, the, the writers of the word actually used Eros to describe anything that uh, has to do with this type of love. The next type is Phileo. Now some of you may recognize this. You recognize the root word "phila." That's where we get Philadelphia, the brother, the city of brotherly. Thank you. That wasn't timed. Um, but that's a companionable love. That's that's something where um, I have a, a companionable love for a, a good friend of mine, my best friend Wendell. Uh, he came up for our daughter's dedication, and um, I didn't I didn't know him, you know, before college. But we grew into loving one another. I I love him like a brother. He is. He is somebody that I trust with with my life. I trust with um, what he's capable of. It's amazing to see him and how he's grown in his wealth. But I love him. Um, but it's still kind of conditional. There's still some conditions on it. And so it's somewhat fragile. Because if that relationship was ever sour, if Wendell ever did something to, to offend me or, or really send me off in a place where I was very disappointed in him, it could break. It could dissolve. So it's a good kind of love. There's nothing wrong with it. It has a more noble cause than, I would think, than arrows, But it still has this conditional component. And then there's another type of love called storge. Storge is interesting because it's almost natural. It's, it's kind of an inherent type of love. It's a love between um, a father and a daughter, um, between siblings. Um, it's a love that uh, is described as um, it exists almost automatically between a parent and a child. And it's, it's somewhat used sometimes in scripture in, uh, in combination with phileo. So you'll see, uh, and I can't remember the exact Greek, but it's like storgo phileo or something. I don't really know. know uh, because I couldn't pronounce it. Uh, but that was the beauty of scripture because if you go, I mean, we don't have an excuse to not know what these words are and, and to at least try and discover what they're used for. blueletterbible.com it's it's a great resource if you want to use it you can read the actual english but then you can actually get the translation of every single individual word you don't have to be a scholar the lord didn't write he didn't send down scripture for only the scholars and those that graduated from seminary and held 25 years of experience in understanding scripture it's for all of us so let's let's be mindful of that and let's take responsibility for it but storge is it's a quiet abiding feeling that sits within a person and it rests on something that's close to him or her. So it, it it's hard to describe sometimes, but that's, I think, sometimes why it's combined with phileo. So those are those three types. Um, and they're great, some of them in their own right, but it's not that same kind of love that's talked about in 1 John 4. So there's two points that I'll bring up um, that I want to I make mention of, and I, I, I pause to mention that you know, these are points that, uh, when you're reading scripture, you want to try and and develop a sense of Lord, what what is the scripture trying to say to me? What am I supposed to gain from this? And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where some of the some of the unknown, the intangibles come in. Um, but at the same time, you want to get some, make some kind of conclusion, and then go and investigate the commentaries. Then go and ask. Your, your brother or your sister. Then go and ask the people that you trust about the word. And then align those things up. It requires work. And that's all part of this biblical literacy theme and this goal that we have this year. But there's two points, and I was thankful that I actually saw some of these. I saw elements of these before I started investigating commentaries and seeing if things lined up. And, there, and there's really, it's only two, and it's not, um, they're not really hard to grasp. But the first point is that it's God that's the source of this love. What do we mean by that? Um, It wasn't us. We're not the ones that initiated this love towards God. It's something he created. It was God-breathed. It was God-inspired. So sometimes we'll get arrogant and we'll think, man, I love, of course I love my brother and my sister, and and I'm I'm a a fighter for justice. But don't think that you're the one that came up with that idea. That's just something that came from God. That's where the scriptures speak to it came from him. Nowhere in scripture does it point to us as the reason for love existing. When you think of John 3.16, whether it's in a baseball stadium or some other kind of venue where it seemed to have no relevance, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It starts with God initiating that kind of love. And so if we remember that, it should have some kind of, it should resonate, it should have a little bit of impact. Like, wow, I didn't, as much as I love that other person, whether or not they know Jesus... That, that's pretty heavy that, that God would love me that much. In Romans 5.8 it says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whether it's Romans 5.8, whether it's John 3.16, whether it's another scripture that speaks to this kind of sacrificial love, what do, you think, which, what do you think the word that was used? It was agape, it was agapo, it was some derivative. And that's really when you get to that type, that definition, that's, that's the power of what type of love is described by John. This is a love that it's selfless. It's not kindled by the worth or merit of its object. It says, I'm going to put my blinders on, and I'm going to love on that person, regardless of whether or not they decide to receive what I'm giving them. It's not conditional. It's an unconditional love. It expresses a consuming passion for the well-being of others whether that's at your job, whether that's in school, whether that's within your family. And so this is, this is the type of love that God is the source of. And the second point is that God, he demonstrates his call, but he doesn't do it so that you can turn around and just stand in this reverent spirit of mysticism and, and, and just revel over God's love. He says, no, go and love others. It's a call. It's it's for a call and response. It says, I'm loving you this way. I love you so much that I would send my only son to die on the cross. But don't be so focused and so intent and so absorbed in the moment that you forget to turn and love the person that you may have just cursed out two weeks ago. Don't forget that you need to turn and love the person that you really don't want to have anything to do with. You don't have that option. That's the idea. That's why he would drive us to love. That's why he would love us in that way. We're not to respond by developing this misguided mysticism for the love of God that, that could result in our hearts. That's where we lead our heart once again. We think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. After Jesus delivered that parable to the people, he then said, well, what do you, who do you think is the person you should be like? Naturally, everybody said the Good Samaritan. He said, go and do likewise. He said, turn and go do something about it. Take action. And even if you are taking action, make sure you're taking action for the right reason. Because God bestowed that love on you. We have a sanctuary, something we call a parish model. And it's the the idea that we're not trying to make this place or increase our numbers so that they're so massive. Um, Even though that would be a great testimony to what God has done for us, we're trying to take a portion of what we have and then go plant somewhere else. That's why we have a new church starting at Sanctuary North. They are clearly in this region, they're, they're, and, so, and so that space will empty, and hopefully more people will come in, and that's the purpose behind that, is to tell other people about this type of agape love. That's the type of love that should drive us. So, back to the scripture, if you think, you know, even when you read, everyone who loves has been born of God, when you have that realization of why you're doing what you're doing, of why you're sacrificing what you're sacrificing, why you're showing agape to one another, when you have that realization that it's because God loved you, you've got it. That's, that demonstrates that you've been born of God. This entire book, this entire series of exposing, that's, what we're, that's one of the things we're trying to expose. We talk about how Jesus is the light. He's exposing things throughout our lives. Lent is a period of sacrifice or maybe renewal, a formation like Adam mentioned. But the inherent lesson, as I mentioned before, is that he's demonstrating this love so that we, in turn, demonstrate it to others who are in need because we were in need of it. We acknowledge the truth, the fact, that we were in need of it. That's all that we ever try to get across to people every Sunday. So, as I wrap up, as, as I prepare to bring, uh, ask Andrew to come up, there's two things, um, two ways of, of understanding this. Maybe you're doing this already. Maybe you say, Lonnie, I, I have an intense day every day. I'm pouring myself out, and I, 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 I get it. I got you. I got the point. So I say keep going, all right? I'm at work sometimes, and there are people I don't, I don't want to love. I don't want to make sacrifices for. I would be much more productive if I didn't. I don't have that choice. If I am born of God, if I'm going to claim that I am the person that I like to think that I am in Christ, I can't turn and be distracted. I can't turn the other way. I can't let that person out of my sight because I need them to know the love that Jesus showed me, so that they can then appreciate and value, and then go do it to somebody else. Maybe you're pouring yourself out to your spouse. Maybe there's some issue between you, and it could range. I mean, I, I think of a pastor that gave me some great marriage advice. He said, "Remember, the issue is not really the issue. It's not about burning some egos in the toaster oven." It's because of your consistent lack of regard to time. Right, it's, it's some kind of, it's some kind of, the, the, the actual issue is like really mundane but the, the truthful issue, the one at the heart of the issue is something larger. So maybe if you're that spouse that is, is trying to be patient, you know, continue to sacrifice, continue to demonstrate. If you're a student, I know we have a lot of students here. Um, you have students that are, deal with group projects. I, I hated group projects because I didn't want to be in a group. I didn't trust these people. I did not show agape to them. I, I tried, but I really, I may have kind of did it, but I did it in a selfish way. I did more like phileo or storge, because I would, just, I would just do the work and then just say, yeah, they, they participate. I'll put their name on it. But what if I took a more interested perspective? What if I actually met with them and deliberately sat down with them and said, hey, come on, you don't write you don't off the bat, you don't want to freak them out and say, look, Jesus told me that you need to help me here, you need to participate. No, you say, look, this is hard stuff, isn't it? Isn't this difficult? Come on, let's, let's get up and let's go. Let's, let's do some more work. Let's participate in this because I believe that you have something greater in you. you. You sacrifice your pride. You sacrifice what would put you up so that you could demonstrate that love of God. That's all that Jesus did. He came down, he lowered himself to be a man, lived a sinless life and died. He, he submitted, there's a submission and if you're not, or if this new, if this concept of, of agape is, is new to you, um, you know, there's very little to, um, there's not much more that can really be emphasized except, you know, you can consider taking stock of what you're dealing with. Consider, consider stock of how you think that you're living. Consider taking stock of how you think, sorry, this ear thing is new. <laughs> That's why I was like, I can do it. I can do it with the mic. It's fine, okay. Um, But just try to recognize the kind of love that you're showing now and the kind of love that you have the potential to show for tomorrow. But don't do it in a way that you know in your heart it's really just something that will benefit you in the end. Don't do it in such a way that you know that you'll either financially gain or you'll, you'll be seen in a better light by those around you. Try doing it in secret. Let your actions be rooted in this agape. Reflect the reality that God loves you, whether you like it or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Acknowledge that when you show agape, you're showing the love that God showed you in the first place. This is what should empower us, this is what should bring us closer to showing true agape, is that realization. Because otherwise you're just doing it for in vain. And that's what vain is. I, always, I mean, it's a, a quick thing, and I'll end, and I'll, I'll ask Andrew to come up, but when we, when we say don't do something in vain, that means don't do it for, for no purpose at all. When we say we use the Lord's name in vain, I deal with people on a regular basis. They are constantly dropping J.C. for no purpose. No reason whatsoever. But can I show them agape? Can I find a way to show them why doing that is in vain? Why there's no purpose? Why there's no reason behind that? So... I thank you for your time, and um, I just want to bring Andrew up and, and help lead us into uh, another aspect that comes from John, First uh, John 4. Thank you.
1: This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I'm going to take a moment before I, I share and, and stop. Um, I have just a, a small basket of invitations for you in this moment. Just a small basket. One for every person who's been walking with Jesus for a long time and heard all that and goes, yeah, 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 of course, great. It's a good reminder. I've heard it all. Uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon or Luther, I can't remember who it was, who famously said when somebody came up to him and said, look, we're, we, you, you've talked about God's love, we get it, we get it, Christ died from the cross for us, like, we're, we're ready to graduate to something a bit more meaningful, a bit more clever, a bit more, actually, this is a lot of the same things that the writer John is addressing, uh, this book that we've been going through, so to those that internally you're like, you would be that person who would come up to, to Spurgeon or Luther and go, can we get a little bit more, it's cool, great took an hour and a half out of my time here. I love a little bit, something more intellectually stimulating, not that that wasn't intellectually stimulating, Lonnie. He turned to them and he said, "Um, as soon as you start loving like that, I'll stop stop preaching the gospel. As soon as as you're actually, this is reflected in every aspect, every square inch of your life, that you're somebody who responds to the constant reality that you have been loved, that love does not come from some arbitrary like evolutionary development. It doesn't. It's actually really counterintuitive to the way in which we should be hardwired to survive. I just want to encourage you, for those of you in this moment who may have glazed, to take the words of this song and to allow, like, the reality of this verse. It's this is love, not that you're great at loving, but that God loved you. This is love, not that you're great at loving, but that God loved you. It's an it, it's source. It's not loving in vain. And so I'm just, it sounds funny, but I'm just gonna like, you know, old school church days, I'm gonna sing this over us. I actually wanna encourage you to not sing along. Deal with my nasally voice for a moment and allow the truth of this melody and the words that Lonnie has spoken to us like seep in a bit. Those of you who are brand new to church, that's maybe the first time you heard anything about the way of Jesus. We as followers of Jesus, we simply hold fast um, that, that where our, the understanding of love and where that comes from is actually super important. That's it, it, all we're saying. We actually just think it's vital to, to identify source to identify proper definition of what it truly means to love. So this is one iteration of the gospel that we want to sing, and the invitation here is one, Where, where am I not loving well? Where do I need to be aware? and trust God's love for me because I have all these anxieties and angers and frustrations and it really actually comes from this deeper place of not recognizing who I am and rest with my identity as a love child of God. For some of us, the invitation here is to go, I'd love to trust that. And all the invitation for you in this moment is to say yes. Yes, God, I wanna trust that that is true about who I am, that you've died for me. And again, for others of us that have heard this a million times and this just feels vanilla, the invitation to you is to trust that you're wrong, that this is actually everything. And just ask. You don't have to trick yourself into anything. No one's asking you to be dishonest. Just simply ask, God, this, where, where do I need to trust this more? Just pray that. Where do I need to trust this more and trust him in that moment? So can we take a moment and just reflect on these words together? If you want to close your eyes, if you want to take a knee, if you want to stand, whatever you want to do, we're just going to take a few minutes. May we be people who know what it is to respond to this kind of love. May we be people who know what it is to respond to this kind of love. And everyone said, Amen. Brad Herslick for the win. I want to talk to you for a few minutes. The reason why we wanted to cut this talk up, this time a little bit up, and I'll just be here for a few minutes, is just um, because something we actually don't talk a lot about, and if you're new to church, this is one of these subjects that can be sort of strange, uh, until you realize that you do it too. Uh, So this word evangelism, how many people love that word? Anybody? Uh, it's a word that gets a, a funny reputation, uh, and yet it's something that everyone is doing. Everyone. I don't care what your worldview is. Uh, it's something that we even try hard to believe, many of us in culture, that uh, we're not doing. Uh, and it's simply that there are things that we believe that are true about the world. Anyone have opinions in this room? Anyone have opinions in this room? All right, take two minutes and talk about Donald Trump. Go. Just kidding. You have opinions in this room. Amen? Amen? Okay, <laughs> some of you didn't know where that was going. You just like tweaked out. <laughs> uh, Anne Lamont famously said, uh, I obviously think my opinion is right. If I didn't, I would get a new one. Right? So I appreciate those that walk in a bit of humility that hold things open-handed You know, I I think things are right-ish, I could be wrong, that's really good and that's a healthy thing at the end of the day, and I don't have time to get into a large talk about moral relativism and subjective morality and all of that, but I will say this, uh, most people don't want to live in in a world of subjective morality, you all lock your doors, there are things you believe about right and wrong and how things should be and shouldn't be. So I say all that, and to say this, we're all evangelizing, we all have things that are burning in our hearts that we want to share with others. Some of us are quieter than others. Some of us don't want to rock the boat as much as others, but we do. We want, we, we, want we, we believe things about the way the world is, about what it means to be generous and what it means to embody beauty and what it means uh, to be caring and what it means to be merciful and what it means to do our job, right? And we could get really specific and we could get really big, but at the end of the day, there are things we believe about the way the world is. Everyone's evangelism, evangelizing, especially when we look at a city like our own. And this love that Lonnie's has talked about, this love that's articulated in 1 John here, this love for everyone is actually the primary driver as to why we do what we do. That we would live our lives in such a way, right? As if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, the hope is that we as a community are embodying such love, That the way in which we are convincing or wanting to share that love or wanting to invite others into it is because amidst all our brokenness and all our hypocrisy and all our failures, there's like a burning core, a desire for us to move toward and to look more like our Father who has laid down his life for us. So that's why when we disagree with people or when we're angry at people or when there seems to be enemies. That's why any of you have a hard time and feel like there's a brand issue when it comes to Christianity in our country, especially around political season. It's a bit of a brand issue, right? Because at the end of the day, we are called to be people of love. We are called to be people of love. And so wherever you are at on a political spectrum, maybe you're not on the spectrum at all. <laughs> We understand when someone stands up and goes, yes, 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 I want to follow. I'm a Christian. And this isn't just true of political figures. We can pick on them because they're easy targets. Yes, I follow the way of Jesus. And we don't see that love reflected. We realize there's a dissonance. And you know who wants the church to be the church more than probably anyone else or as much as anyone else? I think it's the outside world. I think people would love to see the church actually live up to its own ideology. I've shared this before, but more than ever, if we are to embody this radical love that we read about in 1 John, a love that lays down its life for the other, a love that woos and compels out of a place of service and generosity, That kind of love, that kind of radical inclusion that we see in the gospel of like, like we should be on a mission of inclusion as a church. We're welcoming people in to to recognize who we believe, the story about who everyone is. You may not believe that, that's okay. Would you maybe begin to trust it? Would you entertain this notion that this is who you are, that this is what God has done for you, that this is the story for everyone? We, we, We do this with a desire that, that we as a community are becoming more and more and more loving and more people are being connected and drawn into this. See, this subject of love, it's not that Christ, it's not that we love God, but that God loved us. If this is not continually moving and shaping in this at the center of our being, then it will cause us to not apologize too fast. It will cause us to not own our own hypocrisy. It will cause us to not name, yeah, you know what's wrong with the world, really? I am, I know, I recognize my part in that. It's like when you see Christians fighting over a political candidate on like social media or in a coffee shop and there's no love toward each other in even doing that, you know there's like a deeper problem. Amen? There's a disconnect here. Uh, I've mentioned some version of this before and I wanna read a few quotes to you. But... um, I am convinced more than ever that in the world where we talk about radicalized things, radicalized ideologies, radicalized way of seeing the world, radicalized religion, I am convinced more than ever that we need actually what we need is not less radicalization as a, from as a follower of Jesus, I actually think we need a more radical faith, like a radical like, let's just read the text for what it is. Let's ignore context. Let's like, just, just, just do what the thing says. Just read the Bible, right? If you were to do that, you would be laying down your life constantly for your enemy. You would be such a force of love and peace in the world and wearing head coverings. <laughs> it's a joke just for like four of you. Right? More than Ever. More than ever, when we talk about what it looks like to actually go like to the wall, the one thing we do know, we know what God is actually like. And to know what God is like is to look at the person of Jesus. We know what God is like and to look at the person of Jesus. And then what do we see? We see this embodiment of what humanity looks like. I've come to give you life and life to the whole, life to the full. We get this powerful picture And and what happened in the early church is this agape that was being lived out. They see it in all these interesting ways, these early church fathers. So these are some of the first Christians, first one, two, three hundred years. Justin Martyr being one of them, sad last name, Justin Martyr. He sketched Christian love this way. He's talking about how all of a sudden all these people that wanted nothing to do with this this weird, bizarre Christianity thing in the corner of the Roman Empire were coming. He says, we used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else. Now bring what we have into a common fund and we share it with anyone who needs it. We used to just hate and destroy one another and we used to refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Pray for our enemies. One uh, early church father wrote, if... If we all derive our origin from one man whom God created, we are plainly all of one family. Therefore, it must be considered an abomination to hate another human, no matter how guilty he may be. For this reason, God has decreed that we should hate no one, but we should eliminate hatred so we can comfort our enemies by reminding them of our mutual relationship. Early church fathers saying we're all one. We should remind one another of our mutual relationship. We are humans and we are loved by the God of the universe. You can reject that. You can walk away from that. You can choose another path. You can choose to deny that. But I'm not going to be the one who's going to hold that over you or judge you or try to be clever and to convince you to come back. I'm just going to keep bearing witness to the fact of agape, that I am so loved. How could I not love you? When Christians hate When Christians get into situations where they find themselves needing to bully or push aside or to jockey for position or maintain power or make sure that the protect the whatever, we are failing, failing at agape. You see in the early church, in light of 1 Corinthians, some writers wrote about how It was amazing to watch these early Christians. They would not sue one another. They would not take each other to court. Again, I don't have time to get into all of that. But it was this understanding, we don't want to hurt the witness. We recognize that sometimes people wrong people in really, really deep ways. And what does actual reconciliation love look like? That the love that's germinating in our own individual hearts... And then the love that's happening within our nuclear family and our household, and then the love that's starting to permeate through the rest of our community, actually have an impact on the way in which our city sees Jesus. And so at the end of the day, as followers of Jesus, we are simply called to love well. And so going into this Easter season, going into a time where actually we we are... Not just like being strategic because people like, we know a lot of people come to Easter service, or because this is a season where people seem to be slightly more okay talking about Jesus, kind of like Christmas. We don't look at that as some sort of trick to get more people in our things so we can get giving up and get better Instagram shots of a full room. If any of you are confused by why we're existing and you think those are the reasons, please, I humbly submit to you that is not why we are here. We love our city so much. We love the people in this city so much that we so deeply want to reflect that kind of love and recognize that we can't just muster that sort of love up. We know we'll fail. We we'll know we'll fall short. We know we'll miss the boat. We know we have anger problems. We know. I'm trying to list down all of my sins. I don't know if they're yours. Man. And yet we know where true love comes from and for others to step into that life-giving reality. So a few things. Some of us, we don't feel that ache to share that love with others because we're not actually like smoking what we're selling. It's not burning in our own hearts. It's not real here. And I don't want anyone to ever be in the awkward position of feeling compelled to tell people about Jesus when it's not something real in their own life. That's awkward Don't do that. I'm not asking you for that. There's a lot of people in this room who aren't Christians. And I hope I've just made a little bit of a plausible case for, look, we just desperately want to love and serve and bless our city. We want people to notice if all of a sudden sanctuary was just like, like disappeared. That wasn't a rapture reference. Some of you were like, oh, rapture. Yeah, no, no, different. If we were to disappear... So, a few things. I still have time, right? Yeah, I got like two more minutes. First Peter, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Revering Christ as Lord is saying, yes, I acknowledge the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus is king, that he is a good and loving king. He knows ultimately what is best for me, that he's come to give me life and that I am a love child of God forgiven and set free. Revere Christ as Lord in your heart. Keep it in there. Allow it to like flourish and grow and infect every part of your being. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and to give the reason for the hope that you have. If you are here and you have that hope and you have that love, can you articulate the reason? You don't need to be super winsome just need to be honest some of the best people who have been the folks who have gone and shared the love of Christ have simply been people who love and bless well in both action and deed they're just like they're electric and they're, and they're, and they're awkward <laughs> and they, they're, they, they, they fumble their way through it you're just here to bear witness to your story you're not here to be like Ravi Zacharias or C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton though if we have any of those folks in the room please come see me keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We would be people who love well, even in the wake of whatever pushback would come on us, whatever silliness or joking. And let's be clear, we are not not an oppressed people group in this country. May we be people who activate with gentleness